Well, my name is Ben Kearns. I am the pastor to children and youth and a couple other miscellaneous things along the way. And uh, it is my pleasure to be with you this morning. This morning, we are going to uh, take a look at um, Matthew uh, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 10. And um, we are going to take a look at this passage of Scripture where Jesus uh, sends out his 12 disciples. And um, a little bit of background... Uh, Matthew is one of the Gospels in the New Testament telling the story of Jesus, and uh, it begins with the story of Jesus' birth, and uh, right out of the gate, uh, John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness and proclaims that the kingdom of God is near, and, uh, and baptizing people in repentance, and Jesus comes along, gets baptized, and then kind of continues on that ministry and says, hey, follow me, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and he takes on this, this task to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, that he is the Messiah, and that he has come to usher in this new thing. And uh, he begins with the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's like seven chapters of Jesus saying, what in the world does this kingdom look like? And he lays it all out, right? The blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and then gives some really uh, harsh teachings on love and lust and anger and marriage, and, uh, and then goes around healing people. And, uh, and so basically Jesus is going around and he's proclaiming with his mouth and with his actions that this new kingdom has now finally come. And as he comes at the end of chapter 9, right before, right before verse 10, uh, Jesus says this. He was speaking to his disciples and he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And, uh, and at that point, the, the story of the Gospel of Matthew kind of changes, and he then sends out his 12. So this mission that Jesus was doing, he now gives to his disciples. So if you would read uh, along with me in Matthew chapter 10, it's a little bit of a long passage, and I'm not a good reader out louder, but we'll try to get through it. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, we'll start in verse 5 and go to verse 20. It says this, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have given, so freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for someone worthy person and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. It If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home and town and shake the dust off your feet. For truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. That sucks. Um, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings and witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how you say it. For at that time, you will be given uh, what to say. For it is not you who will be speaking, but it is the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So when I was younger, I loved this passage of Scripture. It's awesome. I mean, don't you think? No, it's not. (laughs) But you think it's awesome. And I remember it being awesome. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, my junior year or so, I kind of uh, fell in love with Jesus and um, 
got all excited to follow him. And it was right about then when uh, Christian music was at its apex, the pinnacle of Christian musicdom. And uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman was like this amazing artist. And uh, I threw away all my awful CDs and only listened to Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he had a couple of these songs like, uh, we'll abandon it all for the sake of the call or the great adventure. I don't know if you're like a kid of the 90s, but like it was awesome. And uh, he had big hair and he's like, man, this gospel message is huge and we want you to go out and do it. And I would read through scripture and I'd be like, Yes, Jesus wants to send me. And I don't know if you ever felt this way when you first fell in love with Jesus, but like, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. If you tell me to pack up shop, go to Africa right now, I'm, I'm there, right? I will do whatever you've called me to do. And, uh, and so I finished up high school. I was all excited. I'm going, I'm going to college. I am going somewhere. I'm leaving Novato. Finally, I'm going to college. And uh, God obviously is calling me to uh, Santa Barbara, and I'm going to go and, uh, and follow him there. And uh, I did. I did. Not by choice. I mean, I had struggled with um, acne and stuff, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> but I went to college, and I, I got involved in ministry, and I was so excited. I went. Jesus called me, and I saw my time in college as a place for me to go and serve God and follow God. And as I was wrapping up my time in college, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe like ministry is what God's called me to do. Every time I read Scripture, Scripture says, Go. So I can't stay in Santa Barbara forever. I have to go somewhere. And, uh, and so I sent out my resume all over the world. And uh, I'm like, God, I will go wherever you send me. I will go to Africa. I don't know why I keep saying Africa. And he goes, no, not Africa. I'm going to send you somewhere else beautiful, Santa Barbara and now Napa. So I have like this calling on my life to beautiful places. And, um, and so I go to Napa and I'm serving kids. And I'm loving them. I'm like, oh, God, when you said go, I did it. I jumped in. I'm going. I'm doing this thing. And it was awesome. I was part-time, and, my, and uh, so I made no money. So I felt like, yes, I'm really serving you, Jesus. I'm making no money, and I'm serving you, and this is awesome. And after a couple of years of that, um, all of a sudden, my pastor said, you know, maybe you should consider s- seminary, because maybe this pastoral call is like more than just, you know, goofing off with these kids, but it might be this bigger call God has in your life. And I'm like, you want me to go? Like, go to seminary? So when I read these things, I'm like, yes, go. I, I don't have to be stuck here. I can go and do this thing. So I went to seminary and finished seminary. And uh, when I left, I graduated. And I left Napa and went to Washington. I got to go. I got to go to the Northwest to those dirty people with this rain all the time. And I got to go there because God called me to go. And, uh, and so every time I'd read through scripture, I'd be like, yes, you call me to go, I'm doing this. And every couple of years, there'd be this reaffirmation of this call. And, uh, and sure enough, I get to come here, to, back to Marin, to Novato. That felt like Africa. I'm like, don't make me go back to Novato. Um, but God called me here, and I got to be here, and I got to go. And so when I would read through Scripture, and every time Jesus said, you need to go, you need to follow me, you need to listen to my voice, I felt like, I'm doing it. I'm cranking it out. But then about four or five years ago, uh, this awful thing happened to me. Um, I got a call from this church, a really big, awesome church. And if you're in ministry, you have two options. This is how you tell God is calling you somewhere. A, if it's to a better spot with more money in a larger church, then it's obviously God's will. Or if it's to Africa, right? Or if it's somewhere totally low. Like, like those are kind of your two options. If, if like, you're like, trying to discern, God, should I stay or should I go? Those are your two options. And so I get this call from this church, and they're like, hey, we're really impressed with you. I'm like, I know. And, uh, and we're having this conversation back and forth, and, uh, and they're like, we'd love for you to come out and, and, and check out this job. 
And I'm like, this, this is probably God's will because it's a better church. It's a bigger church. So obviously that's one of the rules. And so I started to kind of explore that and think about what in the world would it be like to leave? You know, God bless you. I'm glad that God called me here for a little bit, but now it's time to follow God's call to this new place. And, uh, and, and so we, start, we were talking a little bit and we started talking about some money stuff. And I kind of go, went home and did some of my own finances and I realized this awful thing. And I don't know if you experienced this, but uh, Kay and I, we bought our home at the tip top of the financial, of the housing boom, right? In 2008, when it was like the tip top, we're like, we're all in, we're following God. So we put all of our money into our house and then we like lost it all, plus like 200,000 bucks, right? We're like so far in the hole. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, I can't go to this church, my dream church. I mean, I love you guys, God bless you, but this is my dream church and I can't go because of my dumb mortgage. And, uh, and so I wrestled with this question. I don't know if this is a question that you've ever wrestled with, but this is the question that I had to wrestle with. What in the world do you do when God calls you to go, but your mortgage tells you you have to stay, <laughs> when you have to stay here? And so, I know. So this morning, we're going to kind of unpack this question because I think as pastors, we kind of get in the spiritual trip a little bit because like God calls us and we can kind of move and go wherever God calls you. But you know, for the normal people in the world, right, you have a job and you have a house and you have a life and you raise kids. And so we get to come up here all the time and go, God is calling you to go. And you're like, I don't think so. I mean, I'm here. What do I do if I'm here? And maybe when you were like first fell in love with Jesus, you were like, I will go anywhere, anywhere, God. And then you kind of have this like guilt because you're like, but I'm here and my roots are here and I'm living here. And, uh, and I think we kind of end up in this, these two different camps. One, we read a passage like this where Jesus sends out his 12 to go out to proclaim the word, and we're going to experience persecution. There's going to be death and destruction, but I want you to go. And we look at that and we go, okay, that might be for those professional Christian people. They go, and uh, that's the part of the scripture that I don't really need to bother with. Like, that's for those people, not for me. I'll wait for the part where Jesus says that he'll, you know, bless me and keep me or whatever. Or... We look at that and we, we're compelled. We go, this is God's word. It's holy. It's alive. It's active. It's true. And God calls his people to go. But you don't go, right? This is your spot. This is where we live. This is our place. And we don't go. And so then we, our other option is to live with this insecurity and this guilt like God might be asking me to do this thing that's really great and amazing, but I'm not doing it. So I feel kind of awful. And so I kind of have like, I'm, I'm kind of passive in my faith because I feel like God's not pleased with me because I'm not doing the thing that God has for me. And I think both those, both those ends of the pendulum are awful, right? Either we go, oh, Scripture's not for me, and that's for someone else, I'm out. Or Scripture's totally for me, God has this call on me, but I can't do it, so I'm out. And the truth is, that, that cannot be the case. Because some people did go out, right? And when the disciples would go out, they would come to Marin. They would show up. They would start a ministry, they would do something, and then they would go, God's calling me to a bigger, better church, and they would leave, and the poor people in Marin would be stuck there having to do their jobs, right? Well, I think that God has actually a calling for us, for, what, for those of us who are staying. If this is our spot, this is our home, that God is actually calling us to go while we stay, if that makes sense. So we're going to try to unpack this, and I think the way, the best way to do that is just simply to go through the passage of the Scripture, unpack it, and we'll see uh, where we go. Sound like a good plan? We'll see where we go. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll hop through this. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you are so gracious to us, for we do love you, for we do want to follow you, and we just don't understand always what that means or, or where to go or how to do it. 
I thank you that you are patient as we seek you, as we try to understand what it means to know you and to follow you. And God, as we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that you would speak clearly to us through your Holy Spirit, that we would not uh, be stuck in either in this passive place, in this insecure place, but that we would have a call in our lives and we would live boldly into that calling. We love you, Jesus. And all of God's kids said, amen. So right out of the gate, I love it. Jesus says, do not go. So he's about to say go, but he starts right out of the gate and he says, do not go to the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Sweet. So right away, Jesus says, do not go to these places. I put up two maps because my uh, is, uh, geography of Israel is not that good. And uh, so I'm just going to give you a quick orientation. This is Israel. And uh, right here's uh, some places you might recognize. Uh, you know, Jericho down here. Uh, Bethany, I used to find Jerusalem, but now I can't see it. Oh, here it is, Jerusalem. And then way up there is the Sea of Galilee, and you have Capernaum and Nazareth, right, where Jesus hangs out. So Jesus is, uh, is with his disciples in Galilee, and if you go to the next slide, he says, this is where they are. They're up here in Galilee, and he says, go, do not go to the, any of the lands of the Gentiles. So all those places around, I can't even pronounce them, so I'm not even going to try. That's the land of the Gentiles. Do not go there. Do not go to Samaria. Stay in this land of Galilee. Do, go to the, my lost sheep of Israel and uh, proclaim this message, for the kingdom of God is near. And what I love about Jesus is that he gives these specific calls. He, uh, you know, sometimes we think, oh, he says, go into the whole world, which we're supposed to do. Um, but in this call, he says, do not go to this place. Go only to these towns in Galilee. Go only to my lost sheep. And, uh, and part of the reason is, is not because he didn't care about the Gentiles, he didn't care about the Samaritans. If you read through the Gospels, right, God's heart was always to expand his kingdom for the entire world. But the Gospel story starts with Abraham and Moses and King David and the prophets, and Jesus is the pinnacle. He's the Messiah. He came to bring the good news to the people of Israel so they would be a blessing to everybody. And uh, Paul says in Romans, right, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so part of this was, A, part of like his version of ministry, the way that he was going to go about uh, his plan for the whole world to know Jesus, to know him. But the second part was also just practical. Hey, you're going to go out, and uh, this, he wasn't sending him out, hey, I've met you guys one weekend, now go and do this thing. It's like, go and try this thing out. And they were going to go and try out ministry, and then they were going to come back. And, uh, and so the, their destination was specific, and their task was really clear. They were to do two things. They were to pro- proclaim with their mouth that the kingdom of God was near. And the second thing they were to do is to do that with their words and deeds. Jesus, by this time, had this huge reputation, right, to be a prophetic speaker, to speak with authority and with power, and to also do things with miraculous power. He was raising, uh, he rose Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was healing lepers. He was doing all these miraculous things. And so if you had said, hey, what's up with this Jesus guy? They, they'd say, I don't know, but he would do these amazing things. So when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent out his disciples to be um, his ambassadors. And the way that they proved that they were his disciples was to do the things that Jesus did. So they were to go out with word and deed, with their words proclaim the good news of God, that that his kingdom is drawn near, that we are to repent, that God actually wants to be in relationship with his people. And even though we're wild and rebellious, he has found a way for us to be adopted into his family. That is good news. That is the calling that God has put on his, his disciples and these disciples specifically. And the way they're supposed to prove that this message actually mattered and had power was to actually live out the calling of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And in this time, to do awesome things. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out de- and drive out demons. 
Um, and so when I look at that and I look at our time, I think, um, so what are we supposed to do? God is obviously saying um, to not go to those, the Gentile lands, right? That, all that doesn't make sense. We are here in Marin, and so what are we supposed to do? And I think it's, it's clear that our context is clear. Um, our context is specific. This is where we are. Wherever we are is the place that God's called us to go. And it is true that 90% of us, um, this is it. We are locked into our mortgages. We're underwater. Our kids are going to school. We've lived here our whole life. This is our spot. Some of you guys are going to go off to college, go to high school. Um, Coast Guard families get to come and go and bless us and go somewhere else. But for 90% of us, this is it. So if this is our context, what are we supposed to do? And I think we're supposed to do the exact same thing. We are supposed to live out the ministry of Jesus. We are supposed to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, both in our words and our deeds. And so when we go through these instructions, a lot of these instructions are really specific and culturally specific. But I think if we look at them, we're going to see that these things are really applicable for us today. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to go through, um, there's five things in here that I think that God has for us. For those of us who are going to stay, how we can actually go. So that we may not go out onto the mission field, but we are to go and live lives of mission. And we do that by, by doing these five things. All right. So, and I have a cool, it's not, is it an acronym? Is that what it is when you, like, all your word letters spell something? Yes. Ah, isn't that awesome? So, now here's the problem. I don't have a very good vocabulary or grammar, and you're going to see immediately that I, that I stretched a little bit. Um, but hey, it keeps things interesting. Okay. So here we go. Let's jump right into it. So if you have your scripture, turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says this. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for, um, for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. And the first one is money won't do it. Now for me, I don't get what that means. I got a killer credit limit. So like, even if I don't even have the money, I can fix it. If my car is going to break down, I can put it on my credit card and figure it out or at least pay for it over the next 20 years. And what's interesting in our context, whether we have money or we don't have money, our cultural context is that we can somehow figure it out. We will find some way to fix whatever problem we have. And what I realize is because of this, we are very self-sufficient. We can do anything we want. Anything we want to do, we can find a way to do it, or we can mooch it from our friends. And, uh, and I think what happens is, when we do that, when we rely on our own stuff, we miss what God has for us. Uh, one of my first years here, uh, when we were here, um, I blew up our oven. I, I melted plastic, and then I cooked cookies, and it was just a disaster. I totally blew up our oven. And we went away on vacation, and we came back, and I'm like, who needs an oven, right? I mean, who, who really uses an oven anyway? So I didn't even care that our oven was blown up. My wife's like, oh, we have kids, and I, I like to cook, and I'm like, oh, who needs it? But anyway, it was puzzling, how much is an oven? It's expensive, and I put it away and didn't even think about it. And we came back from a trip, and uh, a couple of the youth advisors and some of their families, they bought us an oven. We came back from a trip, and we had this brand new oven in our house. And it was like, oh my goodness, God showed up, cared for us, and provided this thing. And an oven is a really simple thing compared to all the needs that people have out there. But when we get so used to paying for everything and just having a way to pay for everything, I think we miss totally what God has for us. In fact, when you look through all through Scripture, you see that uh, God's desire is for us to be dependent on Him. When God brought His 
people um, out of Egypt, right? He gave them manna. They gave them food from heaven just for one day. They couldn't take the food and store pile and put it in uh, jars and hide it the next day. It would go bad. It was only for that day. The Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's this time for this moment we need to depend on God. And if we're going to be sensitive to what God has for us, to do the thing that he has for us in this context, we need to recognize that our smarts, our strategy, our resources are not going to do it. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, I mean, we're part of a context that has those resources, and that's great. But we need to be sensitive and put those things on hold when we're thinking about what does God have for us and not let those get in the way and shape what God has for us. Because the truth is, God is at work. He's already at work here in Marin. He's already doing things among us. And if we are already trying to do them because we think we're great, we're going to miss it. Instead, we need to step back and see what this thing is. So the second thing, A, that already God goes before us. See, I know, I was struggling, but you, got, you get the basic gist. And you see in verse 11, it says this. Whenever you enter a town or a village, search there for a worthy person and stay at that house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if it is not, let your peace return to you. And then it goes on to curse, the, curse them and stuff. But we won't get into that so much for us. But this is what I've realized when I've noticed, when, I, when I'm trying to be sensitive to what does God have for me, the truth is God is alive, he's at work, and he's doing things. And uh, when, we are, when we go where God goes, like there's fruit there. And uh, what's interesting is when, when Peter uh, first came and we were thinking, one of the things we want to do is we want to go and minister to a school. We want to reach out to a school. That seems like a great strategy, and we're going to do it. And, uh, and so we started to do it. We went to every school in Marin County, and we're like, we want to do this for you, because there's like these books out that say, you should do this. And we're like, okay, we will. And so we wanted to have our strategy, we want to have our resources, and we want to do this thing. And Peter, poor Peter was banging his head against the wall. What in the world? What in the world? Every door closing, closing, closing. And sure enough, God was percolating this totally unique relationship between the principal of Hamilton and Peter, and through them, our church and that school, that was this totally spirit-led thing that we would have never thought of on our own or never figured out because God was alive and at work and doing something ahead of us. And we had to get through our dumb egotistical strategy to go where God led. And sure enough, God has yielded huge fruit. We've got to be such a blessing. There's been great relationships that happen there because we got to go where God goes. And uh, a lot of times with our students, about once a year, we throw this huge party for, uh, for their friends. And we always talk about, okay, let's think about who do we want to invite? Who, who would be great people to invite to be a part of our little youth group family and fellowship? And everyone thinks, oh, my friend, this friend, they won't go. That friend, they won't go. This friend, they won't go. Because we all have friends in our lives. We get them. They won't, go, they won't come. But when we take a step back and say, God... Who have you put in my life? Who are people in your life that actually need to be a part of this fellowship? Who need your love? Who need your grace? A lot of times those people are different than our circle of friends. And we'll never know who those people are unless we step back and we say, God, where are you at work? Who are the people that are open to you, open to a relationship with me, open to this whole thing, and then go there? I'm always freaked out because uh, Kay and I, we were part of San Ramon in that elementary school. It's awesome. I love being a part of, of those friendships. And thinking about, okay, God, in those friendships, who are people that you are working on? Who are people that are warm to you? And sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. Usually I just live in fear because I, they're great people. I love them. And we talk about what they do. And then they say, what do you do? And then I go, I'm a pastor. And then they feel bad because they've had like seven beers and have said the F word a hundred times in front of me. And I'm like... <laughs> 
I know, and now we're done. And so it's, it's this awful tension. But the truth is, if, if we're sensitive, we think, God, you are at work ahead of us. There are people that you are drawing to you and you want to use us for, but we only can go if we, are, if we just take one step and realize that you have already come before us. All right, R. Um, verse 16 says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, in the biblical world, the snakes were awful, right? The snake was uh, Satan in the Garden of Eden. Um, they, they were cunning and shrewd and manipulative. And, uh, and so here Jesus is saying, be like a snake. In the actual culture, snakes were like known for their, their self-preservation. They would always find a way to survive. And here Jesus says that we are to reflect snakes. Isn't that interesting? And we think that can't be right, but it is right. Jesus calls his people to not be these aimless, dumb sheep who just go, who are ignorant, but to be people who are smart, who are thoughtful, that actually do have strategy. We do want to be cunning. There is a reason and a method to our madness. We want to use our brains. We want to be self-protective. We want to understand our culture in which we live and to get after it. Now, he balances that. We don't just, we're not just shrewd as snakes. I love, if, he's, if he ended there, be shrewd as snakes, I am in. I love being shrewd as snakes. I can do that all day. But we have to temper that with being innocent as doves. So we're shrewd as snakes. We use our strategy. We use our minds. We, we're cunning. We, 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 we retreat in a fight uh, be, because we are also um, innocent as doves. Doves are innocent and pure and holy and gentle and we are to be those things. And so when we enter a context, when we, when we enter a relationship, we have to engage our minds, but we can't be so caught up in our minds that we have to actually be gentle and innocent. Um, I think what's interesting is always in a fight, whenever there's a conflict, people have two options, right? You either fight or flight. You either run away as quickly as you can, or you put up your dukes and you get after it. And both those are, are kind of wrong. Jesus doesn't want us to fight, and he doesn't want us to flight. He wants us to be in it to be in the daily life and to deal with all the tension and challenge and, and to use both parts of that who, um, for the, you know what I'm saying. Okay, great. I know. Okay, um, and the, the reason is, the reason why we need to be as shrewd as uh, snakes and as innocent as doves is because when we go and we proclaim the kingdom of God is near, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be conflict. And uh, I put irrational angst as part of the deal. Check this out. Now, I picked this because it's an I word, and it made it to the end um, of the thing. That's why I picked that. But this is what I'm trying to say. In verse 17, it says this. Be on your guard, for you will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And what's interesting is, since the beginning of time, there's been hostility towards Christianity and towards the Christian method. I mean, Christian message. That is just how it has been since the beginning. And uh, what's interesting is when you live in a context uh, a little bit like ours, right? Like, like people aren't that excited about Christians, but like we're not being dragged before governors and we're not being flogged and, you know, our, our livelihood is not being stifled. Um, what's interesting is, is we feel like, am I even doing what God's called me to do? Because am I being persecuted? If I was really following Jesus, then I would experience persecution. And, uh, and I I have some people that I know that I, well, I don't know them personally. I wouldn't want them because I judge them. 
Um, but you've judged them too, because when I, when I was in college, uh, they were everywhere, and they're everywhere in the news, and it's always the one crazy guy with the big banner, you know, saying, you're going to burn in hell, and he gives this big, long list of, you, 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 you're going to burn in hell, and I totally remember being in college, because I was a Christian in college. I loved, I loved my school. I wanted my school to know Jesus, and uh, sure enough, one day, this guy shows up with the big banner, you're going to burn in hell, and of course, like, everyone, like all the non-Christians would be like, whatever. Oh, sorry, they flip off the guy, you know, and they go, whatever. I'm sorry, but that's what they do. They would flip him off, and they would walk away, Sorry, I said I wasn't going to do that because I screwed up last time. Anyway, so, but that's what they would do. And it would be gnarly. They would scream profanities and it would be awful and they would just walk away. But then the Christians would come up and they would be like, dude, you're hosing us. Why are you doing this? And, uh, and, and it would be the Christians fighting this guy who's standing up there going, ah, you're all going to burn in hell. And because uh, and, he's like, look at I'm being persecuted. See, I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm being persecuted. And, uh, and me and my buddies one time, because we thought we were all super godly, we were like, let's go grab coffee and understand you a little bit. And sure enough, it was a ministry strategy to go and be confrontational. It was confrontational evangelism to do it so that um, then you'd be persecuted. Then you would know. And the truth is, well, I just, there's no way. That is not the right call for sure. But the truth is that there is opposition to the gospel message, and there's two different reasons for it, and I think it's helpful to understand why these two reasons are. One, um, in 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, to some, we are this, sorry, that we are the fragrance of Christ. To those who, uh, who are alive, we're the smell of life, and to those who are perishing, we're the smell of death. When we put on the clothing of Christ, we are the fragrance of Christ. And to those who are being drawn to him, it is the smell of life. It is the smell of hope. It is the smell of redemption and restoration. It is this awesome smell. But to the, some, to the perishing, it is the smell of death. And right, and you've experienced this. You've had a conversation with someone. And the second that it comes out that you're a Christian or it comes about Jesus, there's like this irrational angst. There's this hardness. There's this angst. And all of a sudden you're at arm's length. And we need to understand it's an irrational thing because it's a spiritual thing. Because the kingdom of God at its core, is saying, repent. You are a rebellious, broken, messed up person in desperate need of the forgiveness of Jesus. And once you're invested, um, forgiven by Jesus, then God has this thing for you to do. On a spiritual level, there are people who are opposed to that, and it causes angst, and it causes um, broken relationship. And so we need to understand that that is what's going on. And when we understand that that is what's going on, then we can begin to have some grace and peace for others. We don't need to add more conflict to our life. There's plenty of conflict for our life. So let's let the conflict that is there be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And lastly, the way we do this is that we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus uh, says in verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. For at that time you will be given what to say. It is, um, for it is... For it will not be you speaking, but it is the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And how cool that God sends us on mission. He has this thing for us to do, but we are not to do it all by ourselves. We don't need to be all the smarts. We don't have to have the great strategy. We don't have to have all the Bible answers. We simply need to go. And when we go and we go and we're dependent on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's actually going to show up. He's actually going to teach us and remind us and give us words to say, help us to manage awful situations with our coworkers and our friends and our families about their irrational angst. And we're going to have to go, how do we do this? And the Holy Spirit actually shows up and gives us words to do that. Now, the last thing I want to mention is this whole passage begins with this passage by Jesus, this statement by Jesus that says, 
the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And I would just like to offer this, um, my take, and you could disagree with me, but I don't think the harvest is plentiful. I don't think the workers are even few. I think that there was a strategy a long time ago which worked where the harvest was plentiful and Christians could simply go out, proclaim the message, and people would respond and they would come and be a part of God's family and it would be great. And they would do that from all different seasons. They did it back when Jesus did it here uh, in the 50s and 60s with like, there's like this big revival and the Jesus people, they did that. But I think if you look around now, if you look at our context, I don't think that the harvest um, is plentiful. Uh, I think it's kind of like this, like the Dust Bowl. Back in the 1930s, um, the Okies from Oklahoma, right, they experienced a Dust Bowl. Um, and what happened was, there was, this was an arid part of the country anyway, but they found some ways to, to plant, and, all, uh, and the government gave away tons and tons of free acreage. And so people would go out there and they would begin to farm. And the farming techniques uh, weren't as sophisticated. And so what they do is they would just plant and grow, plant and water and grow, plant and water and grow, and reap and reap and reap. And they would never let the ground rest. And they didn't uh, fertilize the ground well. They didn't water the ground well. And so the, the, the soil turned into sand, and sure enough, in the 30s when a drought came, it just wiped out all those farms, right? Thousands and thousands of farms, millions and millions of acres got wiped out because they had this strategy for planting and harvesting that worked for a long time, and then when the culture and, con- and context changed, it jacked them. And, uh, and a lot of them, you know, they got in the Grapes of Wrath. If you ever read that book or read the Cliff's Notes, you know, they get on the the cars, and they come back, and uh, it's a great story and book and cliff notes. Um, so, but the harvest was plentiful at one time. But I think when we look at our context, Christians have some, I think we've used a strategy that didn't really, that worked great, but is working less and less. And we're like these farmers continuing the same thing over and over again. And what we need to do is we need to step back and not use our old strategies, our own smarts, our own resources, but be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, because God has huge and great things for us. He has huge and great things for our church and for our ministry, and we must lean into what the Holy Spirit has for us. And when we are sensitive to his leaning and go where he leads, then truthfully, we get to plant and water and harvest. And this picture is actually a picture from Oklahoma. I don't know if it's the same farm. I just Googled it. But this is at least Oklahoma. And, uh, and sure enough, that whole area is an awesome and thriving region of agriculture now. And it happened because they found a new way to do agriculture that was a benefit to the land. And I think for us, if we find a way to go the way that God's called us to stay here and to cultivate the land, then we are going to be set. And uh, if we simply do these five things, we recognize that money won't do it, to, go without, to recognize that already that God goes before us, to reflect both snakes and doves, to recognize that there's going to be irrational angst um, as part of this deal, and that we must rely on the Holy Spirit, then I think that we can actually recognize God calls us to go even while we stay, even if we're underwater in our mortgage. All right. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you love us, that you call us, and that you send us. You actually have something for us to do. And God, even though it may not in this season be in Africa, and it may not be in another part of the world, for this season and this time, you have called us here in Marin Covenant into Marin County, So God, send us to this place. May we be on mission in this place. May we not rely on our own strategies and our own smarts, but may we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. May we discern what your strategy, what your will is, 
so that we can plant and water in a way that will yield an amazing fruit. And may all the honor and glory be to your Son, both now and forevermore. Amen.